Welcome, Whiteman Warriors, to the Practicing the Pillars podcast, where every airman is a leader. When you lead yourself first, others will line up to follow. Another night I'm barely holding on. One step away from being... Today we are climbing mountains. I am Chaplain Captain Graham Bailey with the 509th Bomb Week Chapel. I'm joined by my co-host, the 509th Bomb Wing Master Resilience Trainer, Tech Sergeant Kim Desaluce, and our very special guest, Miss Nicole Termini, the 509th Muns Embedded uh, Social Worker. Nicole, thanks for joining us today. We are so glad that you are with us. So as you all know out there in podcast land, what we're doing here is we're talking about accessible and authentic conversations of resilience, of hope and growth. And uh, Nicole, you've got a pretty incredible story about uh, your own personal experience with growth and resilience. And we are so excited that you're here to share that story with us. So Thank I'm just going to turn it right over to you and let you start telling us your story. Okay. Well, um, about 15 years ago, my now 20 year old daughter, Malia, uh, experienced a drowning. And for about eight minutes, um, she was underwater and not breathing. Um, so anyone else would have not survived that, but thankfully she did survive. And so that was kind of where I started in, in my recovery from um, that particular trauma. Uh, so back then, this was before I was a social worker, before I really had any education in trauma And so it was my learning experience, kind of my hands-on, because at the time, you know, that was kind of when you were hearing a lot about PTSD, but it was only related to uh, combat veterans. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really give it much thought. And then, you know, um, I was so focused on, uh, you know, what was going to happen with her? Is she going to be the same? Is she going to be able to, you know, is she even going to be functioning um, because, you know, when you lack oxygen that long, there's always that cha- chance that, you know, you're impaired. So so what what actually happened? Were you at, uh, at home or on a, at a beach or what was the scenario? And, and you were not working as a social worker at the time. No. So what were you what were what was your life situation in that moment? And, and what actually happened if you could share that with the sure. So I was at the time um, a part time business owner and stay at home mom. Um, we were at our home uh, where we had our own pool and jacuzzi, and it was actually the day after my 13-year-old daughter's birthday um, from the night before. And so my 13-year-old and her best friend and my five-and-a-half-year-old Malia were in the jacuzzi, and unbeknownst to us, um, at some point, one of the safety caps had come off the jacuzzi, and uh, it was it was one of the caps that the flow of water was sucked in before recircling through the filter and going back out. And so Malia, feeling the suction on her foot, decided she was going to go underwater and see what that was. And mm. her arm got sucked in, and she was pinned underneath the water. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So thankfully, my daughter at 13 um, reacted quickly. Um, she screamed for help. We all came running. Um, my husband was out around the pool somewhere. My son went down to shut off the pump. Um, I ran, um, as they were 
getting her, well, actually she was still stuck out of water, underwater when I was there. And, um, once the pump shut off, my husband was able to free her arm and get her up on the side to where I started giving her, um, CPR, which uh, I should note, I was not trained in CPR. You didn't, you just did what you had seen. I on did what I had TV. always seen on TV, which today we know is wrong. Um, oh, wow. uh, well, actually, today it's right. Back then, it would have been wrong. So for me, I was giving um, multiple chest compressions with just intermittent breathing, and um, staying alive. Did you do the staying alive tune? Like no, because that, I'd never been trained, so know, I didn't yeah. know anything about that, and and I didn't even know, uh, you know, that I. You know, it, had I been trained, I probably would have done it wrong and it wouldn't have helped her. But because I kept doing the chest compressions, I later learned in a BLS training that it's the c- chest compressions that keep the blood and oxygen flowing to the brain. So without knowing what I was doing, I was actually helping to save her. Um, well, there's a lesson just right there all by itself. Yeah. Uh, don't be afraid to take action no just try whatever go with your instincts because you know whatever for whatever reason it worked and and every time I wanted to give up my husband was there like no it's working keep doing whatever it is you're doing even though she hadn't technically um gotten any water out of her lungs she hadn't taken a breath yet but then she finally did Mm. and it just seemed like it took forever for the EMTs and and you know the ambulance and everyone to get there um you know it's just one of those things where where time stops and you're just you're just praying that help will get there in time. And then to compound that, um, when they finally did arrive and they got her in the back of the bus, uh, the ambulance, uh, they wouldn't let me in with her. And they also didn't let me ride with her to Children's Mercy. And the MT, I know she she probably didn't think about what she was saying, but she told me you can't ride with her because when patients are critical, no one can be in the back, but the EMTs. So I'm thinking, Oh my God, she's critical. She's going to die in that ambulance and I'm never, and you're not going to be there. Yeah. So, um, I followed like a crazy woman, um, behind the ambulance the whole way. Uh, there was a lot of road construction that year. It was 2005. So the Paseo bridge was closed and I knew they were taking her to children's mercy. Um, and so I stuck to them because I didn't want to get lost and separated. And then um, from there, we spent four days in the pediatric ICU or the PICU, as it's called. Uh, I stayed by her bed the entire time, the entire. Um, it was actually three and a half days in the PICU. And then we went down for the for the fourth day on the, the regular ward uh, before she was discharged back home. Um, but I never left her. I mean, until we got into, we were off the ICU, and, and she was able to show me some sign that she was there. You know, um, she was opening her eyes and would look at me, but she couldn't, she wasn't responding, you know, verbally. Um, you know, she would shake her head or whatever. So I just still didn't know where she was, you know, what, what damage had, be, had been done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my husband was home with our little kids because we had a one- and two-year-old at the time. You know, in addition to our two older two, because Malia's in the middle. And so I was kind of alone with her, um, which is nurses and doctors popping in and, and everyone asking me over and over what happened, what happened. So then not knowing then, I was constantly being re-traumatized because I had to keep telling that story over and over. Mm. And, um, you know, now as a provider, I know how, you know, sometimes it's therapeutic, but some, you know, immediately after it's not necessarily it depends. Is. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah. Not, doesn't always work that way. So then we came home and my, uh, coping mechanism, if you will, was to, uh, stay busy, uh, focusing on my family, on my kids and especially on Malia. 
um, what she needed, you know, is she going to need therapy, how her arm was healing, because it did almost tear the skin off. She has a scar there uh, to this day at age 20. Um, you know, just kind of wondering what was going on. Plus, our whole foundation had been rocked. I mean, we no longer felt safe because you have that false sense of security that, that your kids will outlive you. And we were almost proven that wrong, that that's not always the case. And so that was a huge reality check. Um, but uh, I was really kind of um, numbing, if you will. So I wasn't really focusing on me. I was focusing on everybody else. And I didn't realize it until I just had a meltdown one day, and I didn't see it coming. It just literally smacked me upside the head. How, how long? What was the time period from when you came home to when you had the meltdown where you realized, I'm not okay? I, you know, it, it's really hard to put a, a, a time frame on it because you're in this fog. You're, yeah. you're literally just going through the motions of life. I mean, you just don't even know how you're functioning, but you are. It's almost mm-hmm. like just muscle memory. It just mm-hmm. get, get back into the routine. So I couldn't give you an exact um, date, but um, I would say maybe a few weeks or a month, um, probably no longer. And I was just driving from somewhere and had gotten off the highway and was sitting at the stoplight and just lost it, just started breaking down to where the the sanitation worker had gotten out of their, their truck to see if I was okay. <laughs> and I was, and then I was humiliated, you know, I'm so embarrassed. I'm just like, go away. I'm fine. And, you know, and then the light changed and I took off and went home. And, um, but again, it was always cause I was holding everything inside. I wasn't sharing with my husband cause he was traumatized. He had his own things that he was doing and, and the kids didn't, you know, the older kids, they didn't even want to talk about it. They're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know? And so, um, the only place I ever grieved was like in the shower when no one was around, they couldn't see you crying there. And if you came out, you're already wet. So you can't see any tears. And if your eyes are red, you can say, well, it's shampoo in my eye or soap in my eye or something like that. So you felt this need to maintain an identity of being, lion strong yeah i was the mom mama bear strong <clears throat> i'm the mom and i have to hold it together did for not everybody. want anybody to see that you were um, and i didn't think I, I thought i was okay you know she's alive i'm grateful i'm i'm think i'm thanking god every day thank you god i have my child here mm-hmm. um even with the 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 differences in in her personality that was really the only thing we changed but cognitively she was all there she was still as smart she she you know she didn't lose anything um, you know, uh, she was slowly recovering. Um, but, but inside I was dying and I just didn't know it. And, and I think when it started to become apparent was when I realized I wasn't sleeping. I was afraid to go to sleep because then the nightmare started, mm-hmm. um, or I'd be driving in a fl- I'd have a flashback. And I think that's kind of probably what happened when I was driving that day is, you know, your mind just wanders and all of a sudden you're there again mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you're back in the moment. And so it got to where it's like I was afraid to sleep, and so I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. Um, or when I did sleep, it was awful, you know, because I would be waking up crying because the dreams would involve my younger children with a different outcome. Oh, so, you know, it was a real struggle. But, again, I just pushed through it. Um, <clears throat> I tried to get everybody else help except for myself. I'd had some negative experiences in the past with mental health providers, and so I just didn't feel like that was going to work for me. And so then I just started doing other things like um, exercise and, um, again, staying busy, just filling that time, mm-hmm. you know, to avoid really focusing on what I was feeling. So you had your breakdown in the car, mm-hmm. and then you realized... That was the beginning, the first needed, breakdown. You needed to do something, <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. you had a few more breakdowns before you realized you needed to do something. Yeah. 
And, and so, um, I still didn't do anything, um, for a couple of years. Um, I did. So in the time we were also involved in litigation and we were losing our business. And, and so there was that on top of everything. So we had the business, we had the financial stress, and then we had all this emotional stuff that was kind of residual from the trauma. And, um, so my, my coping mechanism then was to go back to school. Uh, I went back to finish my bachelor's degree that I'd started, you know, sporadically over the past five years or whatever. And my undergrad was in psychology. And so I learned some about not really trauma so much as, as um, the brain because mm-hmm. um, I was really interested in the brain and how it works, you know. And um, But then even after that, I didn't go on to do the clinical practice. I kind of went and worked in other fields where I met a lot of people and I learned about other people's stories and struggles. Um, I worked in child welfare, so I saw a lot of trauma. You know, and I was just like, how do I help people like this? Because I felt helpless still. And so that's when I went back to school. And it was during my master's program that I started learning about trauma and how your body can hold on to trauma Mm -hmm. and the different ways that people, um, the different things they do to try and cope with that. Some very unhealthy, Um, even myself, what I was doing, you know, it was it was sort of working, but then it really wasn't because all that was still there. It was just buried. It was it was um, waiting to come out. Mm. Um, And when it does, it comes out and it bites you, you know, and and it can be really detrimental. Um, But uh, so I did. So when you say you were sort of working on stuff, but everything was still buried. My working was just kind of trying to stuff it and ignore it like we all do until I had... tell yourself that you're working on it. Right. But you kind of in the back of your mind know you're really not. Right. And you're kind of like, I can tell everybody I'm working on things because it looks like I am out here, but really I'm just... Well, I was doing that front. I was wearing a yeah. mask. Yeah. Um, that's what that's one of the analogies I I, I use uh, is, is is it was a mask. You know, I put on my I'm fine mask, and when people ask me, I'm fine because I didn't want to talk about it again. I, I got to where a point where I just wanted to forget about it and wish it. You know, obviously you can't wish it never happened, but you didn't have to talk about it. And so I would stuff it whenever those thoughts would come up. Whenever I would have a nightmare. Whenever there was anything that someone else didn't notice, and um. But like I, I tell the people I work with, you know, we all have this certain, we have this bucket inside of us and you can only put so much stuff in it before it overflows. And, um, you know, when it does, it can, it can be nasty. You know, um, we just had a visit from our, um, wounded warrior program and I sat in on that briefing and he talked about, uh, one of the speakers talked about how he was destroying his family. Well, I wasn't at least I don't think I was destroying my family with my behavior, but I definitely wasn't helping the marriage, you know, um, because I was kind of checked out. I was all focused on the kids. And then my husband was also focused on the kids, you know, so we were kind of doing our own thing. Um, but then there would be times when, when I would just lose it, you know, I'd either scream or explode over the littlest things, you know, not realizing that was yeah. my bucket overflowing, bucket was up. you know, instead yeah. I was just mom having one of her meltdowns, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, it would be probably 2005, 10 years before I really had gained all that knowledge and insight into what I was, had experienced and what I was living through and, and this thing called PTSD. And it was only then that I really started, if you will, my, my proper healing. You know, and that came in the form of writing 
I'm, I'm a kind of a creative person. And so I use my writing a lot to process what was going on in my life, not just the accident, but also the loss of the business, the betrayal of the friendship and everything that was surrounding that, um, you know, faith, everything. Um, and, you know, I still didn't talk to a mental health provider um, at that time because, you know, for me, I knew that I needed to do something different that, you know, um, I have seen someone since then. Uh, I, I love EMDR. It's, it's a great what intervention. Yeah, so tell everybody uh, what EMDR stands for because it's so, super cool. Yes, it is. Yeah. So EMDR is eye movement reprocess or uh, desensitization and reprocessing. And it, it is, it works like REM sleep, only you're awake. And it uses eye movements, bilateral uh, simulation and eye movements to help uh, process trauma. Mm -hmm. And um, because, you know, we have our logical side of our brain and our emotional brain. And whenever there's trauma, sometimes you can form these negative um, attachments or negative uh, uh, responses, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, cognitively, the way you uh, perceive safety and, you know, whatever was going on specific to your trauma but with emdr it it's what's great about it is you don't have to retell your story you don't have to uh go back and relive your experience like so many um traditional or or evidence-based talk therapies do where you just you talk about it like prolonged exposure you you know um and so for for a lot of people, this is the best way to go because the last thing they want to do is have to retell that story. Right. And so you can focus on the sensations and the thoughts that are attached to that particular event. And then with the eye movements, it kind of, it breaks the negative connection and forms a more positive um, yeah. connection. So it's, it's not that it's taking anything away. It's not rewriting it. It's not hypnotism, but it's healing just the same because, you know, when you, when you experience a traumatic event, you can have that negative belief that I'll never be safe. I'm not safe. My family's not safe. Um, I'm bad. I'm wrong. Some kind of negative distortion like that. But through the EMDR process, you change that talk into a positive talk to where you can feel safe. You can, you are a good person, you know, you are worthy or whatever that belief is. And so it's just, it's really, I mean, to me, it's amazing. I was a, I was a doubter when I went to the training. I was like, oh, this is all hooky stuff. I was like, whatever, but I'll go because I'm not paying for it. You know, my company was, and then um, part of your training is you have to undergo it. You have to do it. Yeah. And so of course I wasn't going to jump right in with everything that happened. I was going to focus on some anxiety because I was getting ready to take a big test and all that. And when it worked, I was just like, whoa. So without getting too far into the weeds on EMDR specifically, um, from from my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I might be, but my understanding is that it's sort of, through that eye movement, you can begin to actually remap your neural pathways, uh, which is just like, Boy, you mind blown, right? Yeah, because you break the negative mapping and create more positive mapping. And create new positive mapping, which which is fundamental in that trauma recovery process. And I told you I love the brain and how it works. It's, so for me, I was like, It's wow. mind-blowing. Yeah. Literally, it's literally mind-blowing. So mind did you feel blowing. immediate results from oh, it? Oh, yeah, away? absolutely. Did you go back 
following it? To, I had to a couple of sessions I did. And actually, you know, I, I think there's still some things out there that I, that I still need to process. And the great thing about EMDR is there's three different levels, you know, where you can focus on just one particular incident all the way up to kind of just free um, processing to where it's whatever and anything that pops into your mind. And um, so, yeah, you do. You feel immediate lo- relief. The first time I did it, as I said, I, I, I worked on some anxiety and when it was fully processed, when I, when she closed the session, I felt such total weightlessness and relaxation. And I was an hour from home, so it was a struggle just to drive <laughs> home. But then I went home and I went to bed and I slept probably the first solid eight to ten hours that I'd had in years. In a decade. And I just felt phenomenal, right? Then the second time I processed, and this is something that happens, and we warn our patients that this can happen, is that the brain does continue to process even after a session, and so sometimes emotions can come up. So the second time I processed, um, something that I wasn't processing came out during it, So because that happens, you know, because like I said, your brain can go wherever it goes, and that's kind of the whole point of EMDR is to let it go where it goes, and then you work on whatever's coming out, right? And so when I let that I felt good initially, but as I was driving home, I started having these automatic thoughts and these, and I was getting kind of feeling um, irritable and frustrated. And in the past, I probably would have reacted spontaneously to that, which um, my mother would call cutting off your nose to spite your face. So it would not be a positive (laughs) experience, but because I went through the steps and, and learned the skills I needed to prior to processing, I was able to do what is a shift and, and put that away and, and shift to um, a more calm and soothing um, state of mind, use my coping skills, that kind of thing, my grounding and regulation, and something that probably would have irritated me the entire night that I would have just thought on it and thought on it and thought on it. It was over in like 10 minutes, if even. So it's, it's great about that, too, because you do learn how to when you are triggered, and that's the best word I can use for it, there's a way to put that away, put those negative emotions away, regulate yourself and shift to a better mind state and you know a form of mindfulness and coping and regulation and so if for nothing else you just learn really good resources for self-regulation mindfulness is definitely yeah a very important skill it is and it's and and a lot of people kind of say oh yeah that's no big deal I can do that whenever but it's really something you have to practice, have to practice. And, and really really learn um you know, to get proficient at it. And the best thing is you can do it anytime. Mm-hmm. And people don't even have to know that you're doing it. I do it when I'm driving. It. You know, Absolutely. I can That's do it in a room full of people, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but with EMDR, there's also learning different pressure points and tapping skills and stuff that you can do wherever you're at that, like you said, nobody will know you're doing it unless they've had it themselves. Mm-hmm. See, you're doing bilateral and over there. It, it, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if they've had it they and they get it, they're like, I know. And, I'm, and it's like, I'm with you. I got right. you. We're good. Yeah. yeah, it's a sense of community almost. Yeah, you yeah, see yeah. it, and you're yeah. like, you've been through something too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that comment because we've all been through something. You know, mm-hmm. trauma is unique and individual to each person. Um, but we and, all have them. And we, but we all have them. You doesn't know? discriminate. No, mm-hmm. it doesn't. And we all heal differently and at different rates. And um, the speaker that came with Wounded Warriors, he, I was struggling that week. And his story really kind of triggered me, if you will, um, mm-hmm. because he talked about how after he'd gone through his trauma treatment and, and healing and felt he was in a good place, he was, um, you know, a year or so later triggered, and then he was back to these bad behaviors or, 
or harmful behaviors. And, and, you know, I was like, yeah, I do that. You know, sometimes I'm not aware of it. I think I'm fine because now I have all this knowledge and I know what to do. But, you know, again, we just go through life and, and something will, will trigger a memory or, or something unpleasant. Um, but he talked about post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Okay, so I'm still being triggered by this event that happened 15 years ago because I thought I was over it. But that's the thing about trauma. I don't know if you ever really get 100% over it, but you definitely adapt to um, how you changed because of it. Mm-hmm. And, and because I, that brought me back to my self-awareness, it's like, okay, I still have other things I need to learn and new things to work on. And it's easier now. You know, yeah. it didn't take me weeks or months or a year to get back on right. track. It was really a matter of hours because I knew time for some self-care, Nicole. Yeah. You know, if you're being triggered, you need to go to your thinking place, which for me is running. Yeah. You know? And it really takes that self-awareness to recognize that. It does. And yes. we, whenever we talk about like resiliency and stuff, we'll always, you know, I'll ask other people like, what does resilience mean to you? And they'll say, bouncing back it's always the first thing that comes out of people's minds but you're not really bouncing back to who you were like when you're being resilient you're getting through it and like you said right. you're bouncing into growth, your new self i think about it as bouncing forward yeah. like you're, you're you're leaping forward into a, a a better newer stronger version of who you are right i mean it's it's we, you know, bouncing back, you'll never be the same once you experience trauma, once you experience any kind of change. Um, you know, you adapt and you learn, and you, but you become someone else um, or you become the next version of you. And for me, real resiliency isn't even about bouncing back. And I know um, we get a lot of eye rolls now because mm-hmm. we throw that word out there so much. But for me, it means strength and perseverance. Absolutely. Because, yeah, you know, every day you absolutely. have to be strong to just some days – just, just have to, get to through really, the day. Yeah. You just to wake up and step out of your bed. Hey, you know what? I've I've worked with a lot of people these past several years and and I've seen some very severe forms of depression which again stem from trauma. And um, you know, for for a lot of my folks, my my challenge to them was just get up and make your bed and get dressed all the way down to your shoes. Because if you've never been through depression, you don't know how hard that is. But it's also so fulfilling. It's such an accomplishment for when people who who normally can't get out of bed can actually not just get out of bed, but at least pull their covers up on their bed, make it make an attempt at making their bed, yeah. And then getting dressed all the way down to their shoes because we we know, we've seen the research and the results that shows that if you can get dressed all the way down to your shoes, you're more likely to keep going. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like that, my song, keep moving, keep Mm -hmm. climbing, keep going. You know, don't stand still, just keep pushing, even if it's just getting out of your bed and throwing the covers up that day. And I think throwing the covers up, it's I've heard it spoken about so many times, but it's so true because at the end of the day, no matter how your day went, you come home and you still accomplish something. Yes. And you have a visual representation of something that you've accomplished. And the maybe making, everything. Making the bed. Exactly. Yeah. Everything could have gone wrong that day. But you know what? Like you have a made bed that you get to climb into and it's, it's significant. Yeah. There's actually a, a formal admiral that gives a talk. Admiral I think that's McGraven. what I spoke yes, about. I yeah, love that's, him. Yeah. I heard that. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I started making so my bed good. after that, to be honest. So I watched and the YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. and make my bed then, every day. And then I read the book. Because he oh. actually wrote a book Nicole, and he make goes, your bed, right? yeah, and yeah. He, and is it he called goes, make your bed? I think it's isn't it what it's called. Um, I don't, I can't remember, but yeah. I think it is. I think yeah. it is. Uh, um, but he goes more into detail uh, with the stories that he gave at that graduation commencement mm-hmm. in the book. And so, um, you know, I was 
it was kind of, for me, it was like uh, confirmation because I'd always told my people to just get up and make your bed. That's the only goal you have to do for that day. That's something I know you can do, you know, because you have to, you know, when you're trying to motivate people to start working on their goals, give them something that they can accomplish. And so then he's like, start your day off with an accomplishment, get up and make your bed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been saying that for years. That is so true because it is, you do get to come home to a new bed, no matter what happen you come home and you've got this nice fresh bed to climb into you know and it tells you that you can accomplish something and tomorrow's a new day Mm -hmm. so nicole you mentioned that you did the emdr um and obviously i think goal setting is something that you've done what are what are the things that you do now uh to 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 maintain that posture of 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 post-traumatic growth um or or carrying in adaptive ways your trauma with you what are the things that you do now what are your what are your practices this is practicing the pillars podcast mm-hmm. uh, so what do you do on on a daily or maybe even uh, weekly basis to just sort of recage reset and 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 stay in that uh, in that forward uh, momentum so um, lots of different things is yeah. the short answer but yeah. every day um, I try to help someone in some way. Um, oh, it's not cool. about me. It's a, it, you know, I'm very empathetic anyway, um, which is good for my career field. But, you know, right, right. I, I, I take that empathy and in, in my trauma and my experiences into every meeting that I have, whether it's a therapeutic session or just a limited scope or just a conversation or a briefing. And I take that in there, you know, acknowledging that we're all going through something and no one's is less than anyone else's. And so, you know, I kind of, um, I start there and then I try and stay positive, you know, whenever it's so easy to get into that negative self-talk and that negative, um, mindset. And so I, I always try and be positive. I try and find, um, um, things to be grateful for every day. Every day I'm grateful that I have all my children with me. Um, when I am driving into work, cause I have a 50 minute drive, if I get to see a beautiful sunset or a beautiful animal, I'm thankful for that. Um, I'm thankful for the peace and quiet that, you know, I have then. Um, but then I also do self care and, and like Kim and I were saying, we're, you know, it's all about being attuned to you, you, who you are, um, you know, what you're feeling, your emotions, your thoughts and, and, um, you know, taking care of yourself. So when I feel, I'm getting overwhelmed and I can feel it in my shoulders first, you know, being aware of your body, where you hold it in your body. I hold mine in my neck and my shoulders. And when I feel like my shoulders are up around my ear, I'm like, okay, you need to do something to relax because your body will tell you. Yes, your body does tell you. You have to pay attention to it. Your body's like a score, a scorecard for all the stuff that you've experienced. Yeah, absolutely. You're paying attention. And it holds on to trauma. And we've talked about that. Yeah, it does. So for me, it's, it's physical exercise as well. Um, I love to run. I don't love to make myself get out there and do it. But when I'm doing it, I love it. You know, and so a lot of the time I got to just talk myself out up to go and do my run. You know, go put your shoes on. Yeah, mm-hmm. go put your yeah. shoes on. That's exactly right. And you know, yeah. I use that same mentality. It's like, just go get your workout clothes on. That's all you got to do all the way down to your shoes. Because So when I don't want to go to the gym, I know that if I just put my clothes yeah. on, it will be that much harder for me to not go your mindset switches it, it changes does. completely just what I, just the clothes i put yeah because i'm That's like crazy. well if i can go this far yeah. 
You know? And then you feel dumb in your workout clothes, not like, at the not gym. Not doing anything <laughs> yeah, at the like, gym. I gotta go. Just and, get dressed. <laughs> and then I talk myself up. It's like, well, you don't have to do the big run. Just go do your warm out. Warm up. Because as I told you, you know, if I can do my Once warm up, I have three paths I can take. So I can turn around and go home after my yeah. my first mile, and that's my warm up. That's two. Or I can go left, and I can go a little bit farther. I can go right and do my full my full uh, route. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, the first step is getting out the door. And that's kind of like every day. The first step is taking that first step, getting yeah. up, you know. And so um, exercise, talking to people, you know. I have a lot of resources um, in my personal life and at work. You know, I work with a lot of other wonderful mental health professionals. And yeah. I know that if I'm struggling or I, I'm processing something or going through something, I know I have people to talk to, you know, just like everybody else. Um, or I use my, uh, you know, I use my visualization or, or I use, um, you know, I'll take deep breaths, uh, you know, slow my breathing, kind of focus on myself for a moment, take a minute, take a pause. You know, they talk about taking a knee, but sometimes you just need a pause, a quick five minute pause to kind of hit that reset button. And I visualize a reset button as I'm taking that breath. And I tell myself positive in, negative out, and I blow it out, you know, and for me that helps because it's a visual you know, um, practice or exercise where I can, whatever is bothering me that's filling my head, I can breathe it all in and just blow it out, you know? Yeah. So I heard a lot of things, uh, sort of recapping. I I heard you say that you, you, you practiced, you're intentional about your empathy, Mm -hmm. um, which, uh, which actually really does help you work out stress in a, in a very meaningful and adaptive way. Uh, I heard you say that you, uh, practice positive self-talk, um, I heard you say that you practice gratitude. I heard you say that you practice mindfulness. Um, I heard you say physical uh, res- physical exercise. Um, I-, I heard community. Right. Uh, so that's all I of think the pillars. I'm, I think I'm at six Is right it? there. Wow. Yeah, I think that's all the pillars. You've <laughs> I got, didn't even know that. You've got <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, like, so like on the social piece, there's there's community, uh, and there's coworkers that you're talking to and you're willing to have conversations with. Um, the the uh, mental, um, you're doing that positive self-talk, mm-hmm. you're having conversations, um, spiritual, you're practicing gratitude and mindfulness. Absolutely. Um, and what, what else did I physical. say? No, physical, you're doing, you're doing exercise. So you've got all four pillars. And I, I, I wonder if you would say that any one of them is your automatic go-to or is it more of a situation that the moment and the feeling will determine what my go-to is. I would say it's the second because um, a lot of people, especially when I've worked with them, they kind of get stuck on, okay, well, the first thing I got to do is breathe. So they kind of like have a list of things that they do. But I'm more, okay, what do I need right now? And, and I think sometimes that's why people get discouraged because if they think, well, that breathing doesn't work for me. What else have you tried? I mean, don't just go to breathing. That's like somebody that goes to a therapist and the first therapist they try, it just isn't a good fit for them. Right. And then they give up. Right. It's like try find someone who fits your personality, um, who validates you, who makes you feel heard, right? Mm-hmm. Don't give up just because one person didn't click with you. And don't give up when one coping mechanism doesn't work for you. Um, I know which days I need to run and which days I want to run, and they're not always the same. I know when music will help because music is another great go-to. I know when I need to just sit in silence, you know, or write something or scribble something, you know, and I, it's, again, it's that self-attunement. It's knowing 
you know, where you at, where you're at in your head, where you are physically, because mm-hmm. you can't do everything, you know, like if you're sitting at work, um, you know, it's kind of hard to just pick up and go for a run. Um, some people, sometimes you can, but not always. Um, but so I, I have to kind of do a mental list, you know, go through that mental checklist and say, okay, what do I need to do for me? When my shoulders are tight, I'm going to start rotating my head. I'm going to start, you know, working out the kinks, um, giving myself a shoulder rub, right? And then doing some breathing because I know I need to relax. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm too tense. I need to relax and and whatever that looks like. Um, A lot of the time, I got to get up and move, you know. If I can't go for a run, you can bet I'm going to be circulating around my squad or I'm going to go talk to people Mm -hmm. and get myself out of my head because that's where we get the most – you know, when we get stuck in our head, that's when all the really negative and, and kind of just discouraging thoughts and feelings and icky emotions you come create from. Create a downward spiral. Yeah, you really can. And so it's like you got to stop it before you hit that. I, I call it going down the rabbit hole um, because, you you know, it can start with just one negative thought. And before you know it, you're down that rabbit hole and you're back in that dark and ugly place. Um, whatever that looks like for you. And so it's stop it before it starts. You know, when you start recognizing you're having those negative or self-deprecating thoughts and, or you're just feeling kind of like crap, go eat the cookie, go for a walk, go talk to someone, go vent to someone, do something, but don't do what you're doing. Don't stay in your head. Don't stay alone. Then you're staying stuck. Exactly. So you've spent a lot of time, um, developing these tools so much so that you're good at giving those tools to other people. I hope. Um, I think my so. Goal. Yeah. It's my goal. I think so. And yeah. I still, and I'm still learning every day. I mean, yeah. you know, not because I'm required to keep learning, but because I love to keep learning. And it really is the more, you know, the more, um, resources you have and, and options. Your career so, field's evolving. Too. Definitely. So what would you say just sort of as a, as kind of a wrap, um, somebody that's listening right now um, that's that's new in this, um, maybe uh, just realizing that they have some unresolved trauma or have, j- have just encountered trauma. They don't have 10 or 15 years of, of growth mm-hmm. behind them, and they don't know that they have uh, a toolbox that's filled with different things that they can do. Uh, what would you say to that person um, I- in terms of... Uh, What's your what's your best advice for them to start the journey, uh, and 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 seek help and care? What what do you say to the what do you say to you, mm-hmm. fifteen years ago, right? Uh, yes. To to um to get yourself to where you are today. Don't wait and don't give up, um, and don't shame yourself. Whatever you're going through, it's 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 what you're going through, and so don't try to be, um the mom, the rock, the mountain, if you will, because everybody needs a little help sometimes. And it's actually a strength to recognize that maybe you can't carry everything yourself. And it's okay to let other people help you carry that burden. And as far as the toolboxes, you have more resources than you think you do, yeah. you know, but sometimes you don't know you have them until you talk to a, a third party, you know, some neutral person that that says something that resonates with you and you're like, oh yeah, I could do that. I, I yeah. forgot I used to like to do that. Why did I stop doing that? Yeah. And you know, so it's just, um, you know, talk, I would, I would tell my younger self, um, you don't have to do it all and you, you sure don't, don't have, have to do, to do it alone, you know? And like yeah. the song says, you know, that's why it's such an inspiration for me because I look at life now as, as a constant climb 
but then also yeah. a time to relax and catch your breath and reset. So like, you know, we're, we're going to have many mountains in life. Some will be Everest and others will be just a little dune that you have to get over. Um, but what you need to remember is that whatever you're going through to climb, to make that peak, there is going to be a time when you get to catch your breath and reset and, and, you know, be retrospective in everything you learn because, you know, every, every struggle is a learning experience, you know, and there's always going to be some good to take away from it, even from the most horrible. Cause I tell you what, as, as tragic as that day was for us, um, it was an eye opener and, and I'm grateful. I'm very grateful that I have my child with me. Um, yeah. and you know, she's well and wonderful and smart and beautiful and all those wonderful things. But but I'm also a better person because of it, because it opened my eyes to how narrow my world had become and and kind of self-centered. And so it put me back on the path that, it, that I needed to be on. You are grateful that you have your daughter um, and that you became a better person. We are grateful that we have you, Nicole you. Termini. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for coming in Absolutely. and sharing with us on Practicing the Pillars podcast. Every day we are climbing, and we're so glad that you climbed with us today. Practicing the Pillars, out. Thanks, Nicole.